Yeah. I love my HBCU. And boy, I love it, love it. I love it, love it. I love my HBCU. And man, I hope my team they won one. I hope my team they won one. Yeah, man. I hope my team they won one. I hope my team they won one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tune into the HBCU Sports Lab to see if my team won a loss. If they lost, I'm quiet as a mouse. But if they won, keep tab. Uh, I'ma do the dab, yeah. Dr. Cavill, yeah. he know what he be talking about. Talking Mike about. and Charles, Talk. they know what they be talking about. Yeah. Talking they about. compress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they want a lot, yeah. and who the ball, ball. So listen to Professor Yes Sir, and pay attention, cause he gon' teach a lesson. Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Washington, Charles Bishop sitting in for Mike Washington is none uh none other than brian and ad of the sports rap so we're gonna do a little combo if you would as we get prepared for this because you might see a combination coming up between the pregame show in the 1876 sports and culture podcast <laughs> because those two programs will be into the SWAC championship game it will be in jackson we kind of told you how this was going to play out but some of you all when I believers and didn't want to go there. So for those that didn't, you know, for some, this is a downer day. So I got my black crab on for some of y'all <laughs> in the morning phase and just thought I would do that. And again, for some of y'all, as Charles, like you said, get off the ledge. You need to breathe. You know, some of y'all are even going to take the pressure. You know, all this purple. We're going to make sure you've done right. Get you in here. <laughs> And then you got those rattlers on here. So, you know, they're going to get into the playoffs. Some of y'all don't want to believe. So we're just putting you out there. And I done told you all the time. So we're going to check on some of y'all. Some of y'all just nervous. Um, so got it done. With that being said, let's just get into this real quick. Before we even do the intro, slow burn cigar. So shout out to Brian and AD and all the rattlers out there. Slow burn. We'll have your cigar ready. Shout out to Charles Bishop Neely, the pregame show. Shout out to those folks. Pull up your cigar. Got it done. This Got it week. done. Got it done. Got it done. Got it done. Shout out to those Prairie View folks out there. Mike, Roland, Joe Clay, Sonetta. Who else on there representing? Just to let everybody know, give them some love. They're Alan Williams. Shout out to them. Slowburnswaco.com. Slowburnswaco.com. As they are officially the Western Division champion. Bring it out, smoke it. You don't get these all the time as you would. So when it's time, you got to bring it out and smoke it. But it'd be interesting. With that, welcome to episode 209 of Inside the HBCU Sports Lab radio show and podcast. Your show that's covering the sporting HBCU dash for all things HBCU sports for institutions large and small. From NAIA to the NCAA, we share insights and information on the HBCU sports culture, HBCU athletic aesthetics to facilitate the story of HBCU athletic program and the business of HBCU sports. I'm your host, Dr. Kenny Alcabell, along with my co-host, Mike Washington, Charles Bishop. We're filming from our home studios and streaming live as we do in the beautiful home of Texas Southern University from Houston, Texas. With that being said, getting into this, let me just go around with everybody. Charles, how are you feeling this morning? Tremendous, Dr. Cavill, tremendous. It has been a long time coming. It has been since 2013, since Jackson State has been uh, in this position to represent the SWAC East and the SWAC Championship, uh, but uh, really in an electric atmosphere yesterday in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, over 60,000, 62-5-12, I believe was the final count uh, with, with Jackson State and Alcorn. But uh, let me just tell you, it was a buzz in the city probably since Thursday. I, I think all the restaurants were happy, all the bars and grills were happy. Everybody selling T-shirts. All the vendors were happy, happy, happy. And and and, and let me uh, send a shout out to uh, a company. A black man is not my op. This is a, a company I want to support. It's a brand that they promote conflict resolution uh, to end some of this senseless violence in our in our community. But uh, their brand is a motivational uh, brand that aims to flip the narrative uh, to save lives of, of young black men 
in terms of uh, putting guns down, man. So, you know, we had, of course, the incident this past week with Young Dolph uh, up in Memphis, but it's a brand that definitely I want to promote in terms of what they are trying to do in terms of change the narrative around. So call it Black Man is Not My Op. So be sure to check out the Instagram page. They are a su- supporter of the pregame show, uh, and they're really trying to change the narrative in that regard. So. Well said. Well done. We certainly support those that are supporting the community, HBCUs and programs alike, any of those areas we're here to support. Let me go to Brian. Brian, seems like you might be in a good mood yourself. How's it going today? I'm doing great, Doc. Uh, my voice is a little raspy, a lot of <laughs> tears I had to dry, you know, a lot of emotions as, as Rally Nation, you know, we, we got the the monkey, or we should say the cat off our back, really, is what we got. <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, see. A, a lot of beautiful synergies. Hey, 54,198. We haven't seen a Florida Classic with that many people in several years. So, first off, it was good to just see Wildcats and Rattlers back in, uh, you know, back in Orlando again. Uh, great crowd. And I, I just thought the, the synergy of that day, the fact that, the last time FAMU beat Bethune-Cookman was November 20th, 2010. There had never wow. been – yeah, had not been a Florida Classic played on November 20th since. So just the whole synergy of that and, uh, you know, the whole nine lives thing, you know, Cats got nine lives and they, they, they had their nine years of running us out of uh, that building. Uh, it, it was over. And, and when that third quarter hit, man, I, I tell you – Look, they couldn't throw enough flags. They didn't have enough flags for all the (laughs) penalties. You know, it was just like, go ahead, throw it. Throw another one. Anybody else want to go celebrate? I'm surprised you didn't have people coming out to stand, jumping on the field to celebrate. So it was a a beautiful thing for for Rattler Nation, man. It felt like the the, the nice culmination of uh, the the Coach Simmons uh, and the season and the way 2019 ended. So it was beautiful. Can't even put it into enough words. Hey, Drew, your turn. How are you feeling this morning? I am feeling ecstatic uh, this morning. Shout out to my coach, uh, Willie Shotgun Service, get his first true classic win as a head coach, going 0-3 in the Florida Classic. And unfortunately, with his head coach at Prairie View, you know about this, Doc. He wasn't able to get that classic win at Prairie View either. So shout out to Willie Simmons for being able to get that uh Done. The only thing that I'm down about, well, shout out to Bowie State Bulldogs, uh, got, got that victory against Lenore Ryan. The only thing that I am actually down about is the fact that Albany State uh, had, had some miscues early, were not, was not able to overcome West Georgia. So other than that, I am ecstatic. And thank God, South Carolina State saves face for the BX. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into a lot more of that second half, but great departure because I did also want to give a shout out, as you said, to Bowie State getting it done uh, in the first round of the playoffs. Is, um, they had a solid win uh, to their credit over Lenore Ryan. They will face Newberry that actually upset uh, West Florida in a lot of ways. So that'll be fascinating in the second round. Obviously, they'll maintain and have it on campus so it'll be interesting to see how that goes um to your point albany state was not able to get it done but a great season great uh deal that they were able to represent um we'll get into a little more of the breakdown of games like we said in the second half i also wanted to acknowledge the women uh in terms of volleyball this should be interesting having these two gentlemen i should say these three gentlemen on here It'll be a one versus two matchup in volleyball, which will feature Jackson State as the one seed and FAMU as the two seed. We kind of talked about this early, Brian. You snuck out there and lit the flame on this a little bit early as the season started, saying, are they going to play volleyball in the swag? As FAMU were getting a lot of non-conference wins to their credit. Um, I think Alabama State also got a big one in there as they were top four program. Jackson State, though, came into that first game, faced FAMU, and got it done. So Charles uh, sent a little message back quickly saying, <laughs> yeah, we're going to play a little volleyball over here. You got the rematch that went down to Tallahassee 
And fam, you got it done. And Brian pushed back a little more and said, uh, yeah, we're going to play a little bit down here too. So this has been interesting because you don't necessarily get to have this banner and fun for the volleyball, the women and getting done. Uh, but I was hoping, you know, even though they faced Texas Southern and Prairie View and then open around respectively, in a lot of ways, I was hoping that this would come down to a one versus two because it's going to be very intriguing in terms of the trilogy to see who's going to host the trophy. So this should be one to watch. It will be on ESPN this afternoon. So uh, check that out. Giving some love to the MEAC. It also happens to be a one versus two with Delaware State and Howard facing off in that matchup. So it should be intriguing as well. Both of those teams actually uh, tied in terms of the regular season with their records, two losses apiece. They actually split against each other. Howard was able to get one game when they were down at Delaware versus when Delaware went to Howard, uh, they swept them 3-0. So it'll be fascinating to see how that comes out too. So I wanted to give some love to the women in terms of what that looks like, just to give you an update on top of that. Now we can get into this. I wanted to give this update before we take this break. We're going to have an interview coming back. We're going to go off the page a little bit in terms of rugby, just as a nice tease, um, and let you know some thoughts that may be coming to some HBCUs about rugby, what that looks like. But before we get in that and break down these matches and see what's going on, you know, a lot of people having this uh, discussion whether FAMU would get in the playoffs. Uh, that show will air at 11.30 Central Standard Time to give you the final uh, bids. It's 24 teams, 11 automatic bids, and then the rest will be at large. So, obviously, 24 minus 11 gives you 13. And so, things had to play out. And people all season long, credit to the SWAT, credit to FAMU, Courtney Gaucher. Uh, Willie Simmons, he put that extra uh, push and bullseye on his back saying hey, if we're able to win out, we want an opportunity to play out. So my understanding, they put some funds up to potentially host a first-round game. Um, so a lot of credit goes to those that push this narrative. I said all along, if they went out, they'll be in. Uh, people were saying why they wouldn't be out. But I did want to give one thought process, and I know it's more than overall records in regards to how that goes, but with that said, if you look at teams that have equal or better record than FAMU, there's only four, three out of the big sky and one out of the CAA, right? But this is the one I want y'all to ponder. We'll come back the second half and throw this out a little bit. Did you realize that there are only nine other teams that have an equal or better record than Alabama a and That is one out of the Atlantic Sun WAC one out of the Big Sky, one out of the Southern Conference, uh, one out of the Big South, one out of the Missouri Football Conference, or two out of the Missouri Football Conference, one out of the Pioneer, and one out of the Southland. So while y'all are so busy uh, throwing darts and not realizing what's going on with FAMU, you can legitimately make an argument that Alabama A&M would have killed Glass, obviously, um, giving a shout-out to him in terms of what he's able to do, he now stands as the fourth uh, best overall passer. Wow. Uh, getting in the swag, uh, closing out his season in a due way. Shout out to Mo Carter for making sure that information got out there on Twitter and what he does in terms of newsworthy. But I wanted to put that on the floor. Let's take a break. This is Dr. Bill inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Wash and Charles Bishop sitting in other gentlemen from Sports Rap, Brian and AD. We'll be right back after the break. Second half of the show, we'll discuss some of the things that I put on the table. We'll see if the lab listeners will stir that up a little bit and see their thoughts about what's out there and what's going on. Let's get back to strolling instead of scrolling. Before we can safely come together, we need the facts on COVID-19 vaccines. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision for yourself and for your fam. Troy, you work here? I'm never not working. Like head and shoulder scalp shield technology, up to 100% dandruff protection, even between washes. Never not working. <laughs> never not working. Never, ever not working. Head and shoulder scalp shield, never not working. It's the show where we take you inside the game before the game begins. It's, it's the, the pregame. pregame. With your host, Charles Bishop and Neely. 
So get ready, because we pregame harder than the other show's party. It's C Pregame. Support the Black College Sports Network so we can continue to provide you coverage. Go to myjbn.com slash support and be a part of the Black College Sports Network. This is Dr. Neville with Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. We have Kareel Guthrie visiting us from Sri Lanka. Yeah, we do it worldwide, international. Um, so we'll give you a chance to talk about first how you got out to Sri Lanka in terms of that. And then we'll circle back and talk a little bit about rugby and what may be the next big thing at HBCUs. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, well, I am in Sri Lanka because I'm a contractor. Sorry, I lost my video. No problem. Take time. I'm a contractor for the State Department. So, sorry, let me try to get this video back up. My apologies. Well, as we talking about that, as you get the video back up, let me do this part of it. Um, this interview is going to tell you a little bit about rugby uh, from InsideTheHook.com. Uh, and we're going to break it down in terms of James E. Robinson, Clive Sullivan of RSRD HBC Rugby Initiative, has three-year plan under which intends to establish and help fund men's and women's rugby union teams at Howard, Morgan State, uh, Bowie State, and Bowie State, I should say, excuse me, and the University of District of Columbia. So getting back to you, you said you are in Sri Lanka due to being a contractor. Continue. Yes. Sorry about that. Yes, I'm a contractor for the State Department. And so I'm here building a new embassy for the U.S. government. Nice. When you say you're there building embassy, what part do you play in that? Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty complicated, so I just dumb it down and say construction manager, but really I'm here for the transition between uh, the facilities manager and the contracting team nice. um, to help the facilities manager to figure out how to operate this shiny new building. Got it. I like that. Appreciate that. With that My name said, is Dr. Cavill. That, that sounds very CIA-ish. My name is, my name is A.D. <laughs> Drew. I thought she was going to say this is classified for a second. That's what I thought she was classified. No, no. It's all about jump board. in there, Charles, with your background. I was going to let you go ahead and just hang me out there for a minute, but I'm glad you decided to share with the world that these coded words speak that we do. Yeah, I'm out here. I'm just doing my thing. Watch out. Don't mess up. With that being oh, said, Miss Guthrie, let's get in here and really talk about this rugby is why you're here. Um, how did you get into rugby and why do you believe that there's an opportunity uh, for HBCUs to look at rugby? I will add this. I didn't realize until a couple of years ago when a colleague of mine at Texas Southern University had twins that at a Prairie View m University were engineering majors. And they started an intramural rugby team and actually pretty good. They played in an intramural and won a championship down there. And so I do see it as being serious. So I was really excited to see when this came across uh, my table in terms of what that looks like with Cicely Parson as she did with gymnastics. She's always off the grid in a lot of ways, but please continue. Uh, well, I originally uh, went to school at Tufts University in Boston, and so they have a rugby team. And uh, I stayed at Tufts for three semesters uh, until I couldn't take it anymore. And then I transferred to Howard. So when I transferred to Howard, uh, I looked for a rugby team. Obviously, the school didn't have one. So I played rugby with the local senior women's team. And uh, so now we're 15 years down the line um, 
And unfortunately, rugby is still not big at HBCUs. The talent is there for sure. And now because rugby is such an emerging sport um, in the uh, high school and elementary levels, we've got kids that have played in high school. Um, so at that point, then they have to choose, do they want to go to a school that has rugby or do they want to go to an HBCU? Um, so we want to stop that altogether and get these kids who already have the talent and the skills playing rugby in high school to just transition um, to HBCUs with rugby. Brilliant. I like it. Charles, go ahead with a follow-up question. Well, uh, I, I was curious about uh, how did you all go about identifying uh, which HBCU uh, schools uh, where you were looking to put these uh, rugby programs? Well, so we're lucky because the DMV, uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia area has a pocket of existing rugby teams, men and women's. Um, and also they've got an existing pocket of HBCUs with Morgan, Bowie, Howard, UDC. So um, we figured, and especially since I'm a Howard alum, <laughs> uh, that would be a great place to start because you could start with one. And then once that program is successful um, and everybody sees how it's up and running, then we can get just kind of spread from there. And then once we've established this program in the DMV, then we can take it to other places with pockets like North Carolina or the uh, Louisiana, Texas uh, regions. So it's, it's definitely something that we're trying to duplicate in other regions. Okay, sure thing. Brian, let me let you jump in here and ask a follow-up question on rugby. Look like you, you might know a little something about that. Well, I, I just happen to be bumping around and looking at the, the map of where college rugby is right now and noticing a heavy it's real heavy in the, in the Midwest uh, and, and in the Northeast. And so I'm thinking, you know, obviously we have a, a, a group, a definitely a strong group of HBCUs in that uh, Northeastern part of the country, even a little bit in the Midwest. But I'm curious if we were, you talked about Louisiana and Texas. So uh, Ms. Guthrie, as you think about trying to move into the Southwest or even the South, from a, what, what are some of the, uh, maybe the, the cultural hurdles in terms of getting kids interested in rugby? What, what kind of hurdles might there be uh, from that standpoint? The number one hurdle I would think would be the misconception of the football coach thinking that we're trying to poach his players. Mm -hmm. um, I coached uh, high school rugby in Houston, Texas, and was listening to the story of a, a fellow coach at a private school in Houston. And uh, he said that the very first day that they uh, played their very first rugby game, the high school football coach turned the sprinklers on and then locked the, uh, the field house. <laughs> and they had to cancel the game because the sprinklers were on. So uh, with that in mind, football obviously reigns supreme in the South. Um, so... Uh, that's a hurdle, but we're not just talking about men's sports. We are creating both women's and men's teams. Um, so hopefully we're giving women an avenue as well for a sport that they possibly didn't know existed. I didn't know it existed until I went to Tufts in Boston. Um, and we're giving these kids uh, another outlet and another sport to try out. And if I could ask a follow-up, what, what season, which season um, does rugby fall into? It's a fall sport typically. Um, there are a couple of different versions of rugby. So you can play um, 15 aside, and then you can play the tournament version, which is what I hope you all watch during the Olympics. Um, and that's seven aside. And seven aside is usually in the uh, spring and summer. So we can, we can actually go all year. Okay. Uh, that's fascinating. I, I did watch a little bit of the seven and seven on the Olympic side. So I'm glad that you brought the differentiation out between the two, particularly between the different seasons. Uh, AD, if you would, go ahead and follow up with your question. You're on mute there, AD. We got you. Uh, Father, I have myself on mute. I'm probably supposed to ask the simplest question, but I know it's on everybody's mind. What is collegiate rugby? And what's the difference between what you're, what you're proposing, and what we used to see on ESPN or Fox Sports at 2 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> uh, absolutely nothing. Uh, rugby is, 
I want to say one of the very few sports, if not one of the only sports where, first of all, men's and women's rugby is not differentiated. The field is the exact mm. same. The ball is the exact same. Timing, everything's the exact same. Um, and as long as you're talking about rugby union, because there's also rugby league and there's Aussie rules rugby. Um, but what, what you see at two o'clock in the morning is rugby union and it's 15 aside. And so there is absolutely no difference between that and what we're playing at Howard, um, Prairie View and Morehouse. All right. Follow up question on that. Just a quick follow up. Go ahead. One thing that. Before I become a fan, I've got to actually understand how it how it scores. And I'm not just talking about rugby. I'm just talking about it in general. You got to understand how do we score? How do we know who's a winner? How do we know who's a loser? And, you know, rugby is often compared to football. So just talk about some of the scoring options and scoring differences between football and rugby. I know there's this thing called a rouge. And I'm, I'm speaking in general. I'm speaking like an average fan right now. So kind of <laughs> so kind of help us out with some of the language and some of those other things. Yeah, yeah. So for uh, your basic score, it's called a touch. Uh, and you have to physically touch the ball down past the line. So unlike football, where you can just get into the zone, you have to physically with control, touch the ball down for a try. Um, so that's a try and that's five points. And then you can kick after that try for an additional two points um, or off of a penalty, you can kick for three points. So those are your three, uh, your three scoring options. Um, and in general, um, you run forward with the ball. Anyone at any time can get the ball as long as you're on sides and um uh, yeah, tackle the man with the ball. So there's no blocking. Um, if you don't have the ball, you can't play the man uh, or woman. And you can only pass laterally. Good, good stuff. Before we let you get out of here, I did want to break down the three-year plan part of it. And I thought this is really good. And I want people to at least hear this. And then we'll let you have the last comment. Establish a men's and women's team. This is first year, I should say. Establish a men's and women's team with the Howard University Athletic Department. Uh, register a Howard Division I team with National Intercollegiate Rugby Association, better known as NIRA. Provide partial funding for both Howard's teams. Provide Howard with USA Rugby certified coaches. That's important. Recruit international students for 22, 23 school years if we're able to jump this off at this first part of the plan. Develop partnerships with local youth high school and MLR Rugby Clubs, create sustainable funding sources for Robertson and Sullivan Rugby Foundation. That's extremely important. I really love the foresight and understanding the funding mechanism associated with this. Year two would be established a men's and women's, I like the gender Title IX equity that's there, teams within the Morgan State University Athletic Department, register a Morgan State Division I team with NIRA, provide partial funding for both uh, Morgan State's teams provide partial funding for both Howard's team, provide Morgan State with USA Rugby certified coaches. You get the JITS. Also recruit international domestic students, Howard and Morgan, 23-24 school year. Introduce players to the elite pathways of national and international opportunities. Maintain sustainability funding resources for RSRF. Third year, establish a men's and women's with uh, – Bowie State uh, University and the University of District of Columbia Athletic Departments. Those are Division II programs, as you know, so you register uh, the two programs with Division II teams in the NIRA, provide partial funding for both uh, the two programs, provide partial funding for both uh, the Morgan State's team, provide um, both of the programs with USA Rugby certified coaches, recruit international domestic students for 24-25, provide scholarships for league players, Facilitate the HBCU tournament in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. I like that as well. Provide players USA rugby, developmental resources, coaching, refereeing, and et cetera. I really like the breakdown of the plan, the stair steps, and how you have multiple levels. You have it confined into a region, reduces travel, and then you plant your flag there, and then you can move it out from there, which means in a lot of ways you're including the MEAC in terms of the conference. Uh, program, at least two of the schools, and then obviously CIAA, you get one of the schools, there's rumors out there with D.C., 
talking about joining the CIAA, so you never know how that goes in terms of helping support this. But giving you the last word, um, frame whatever you want to frame at this time right here. Yeah, sure. Um, so we've completed almost all of the first year goals. Uh, the Howard men's and women's team are wow. up and running. They've played games. Um, the next step that we need to do with Howard is to promote the women from an intramurals club to an NCAA club. Uh, so there is no NCAA men's rugby, uh, but it is an emerging sport with the NCAA. And so that's the next step. We need to provide some more um, sporting opportunities for women at HBC to use with, uh, with regard to varsity sports. Um, so once we do that, um, we've pretty much got all of that established. And now uh, we're ready, we're gearing up to start canvassing uh, Morgan's um, campus. And uh, I know it's a big campus. I know somebody there has already played um, and I know we can drum up some interest there. So we're ready to replicate this, uh, this program again. No doubt, it's been excited, great information. Wish you the best. When you take that second step, come on back. We'll give you another chance to keep on telling us how things are progress. Ms. Guthrie, uh, be safe out there. Appreciate the work that you're doing abroad, international, representing HBCUs in the way that you're already building a foundation. This should be interesting to follow, and I can't wait to hear the next steps. So just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. This is Dr. Ville with Inside HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. We'll be right back after this break. Your ad could be ran here. MyJBN.com backslash support. MyJBN.com backslash support for more information. From novice to aficionado, find yourself here. High quality cigars plus personal customer service. Slowburn is Waco's only mobile cigar lounge featuring a meticulous curated collection of premium cigars. Visit our website www.slowburnwaco.com. That's www.slowburnwaco.com. Itchy, squirmy, scratchy, family not getting clean? Get Charmin Ultra Strong. Go get him! It just cleans better. With a diamond weave texture, your family can use less while still getting clean. Goodbye, itchy squirm. Hello, clean bottom. <laughs> <laughs> we all go. Why not enjoy the go with Charmin? Thank you guys for what you do for HBCU Athletics. This is a fantastic avenue for, for, for all of us. This is our ESPN, so we, 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 we love what you guys do. Brian, AD, Roy, all you guys at BCSN, we really appreciate what it is that you, got, you guys do for us. shows on YouTube. You can find us at MyJBN Online and on all social media at MyBCSN1. We get back into the breakdown. Let me give you some updates uh, from uh, week 12 matchups. Number one, Jackson State Tigers, as you know by now all the lab lectures, they defeat their rival, number five, Auckland State Braves, 24 to 10. Great matchup, great fan base, great for television. Um, as Ralph Cooper stated, should have been on one of the 
main networks, it certainly was a great ball game in a lot of different ways. Number two, Florida A&M Rattlers defeat the Bethune-Cookman Wildcats 46-21. Rivalries, rivalries. Number three, Prairie View A&M Panthers lost to Texas A&M Aggies 52-3. And number four, Alabama A&M Bulldogs defeat Arkansas Pine Bluff, a replay of the Springs Championship game, putting up 52 points for the second consecutive week, uh, defeating the Golden Lions 52-24. Number six, Hampton Pirates lost to North Alabama Lions 35 to 27. Oddly enough, North Carolina AT State Aggies allowed Garner Webb Bulldogs to come from behind and defeat them by the same score, 35 to 27. AT was up for most of that game and allowed like Garner Webb to score like 21 points in less than what, six minutes in the fourth quarter. It was a disaster. Both of those games were at home. They had a chance to close out the season with a winning record. For both of them, it's not to be they end the season at five and six. And number eight, South Carolina State Bulldogs, though. They defeat Norfolk State Spartans 31-21. Very entertaining game. Went back and forth for most of it. South Carolina State Bulldogs get it done on the road and end with a perfect record in the MEAC, which means they will have a winning record going into the celebration bowl, which saved face for a lot of us. They six and five, got it done. Be interesting to have more time to get in that question now. Will that more time provide additional help to get people healed and be ready to take on uh, one of the top three teams you would probably argue uh, in HBCU football between ultimately Prairie View and Jackson State? At number nine, North Carolina Central's defeat. Number 10, Delaware State Hornets, 34 to 28 in overtime. Carolina sends out the Eagles. Seniors on the bright side with a 34-28 overtime win. Do not go to overtime with the Eagles. They'll find a way to get it done. The number one Bowie State Bulldogs defeat Lenore Ryan Bears, we talked about in the playoffs, um, 31-10. But our second team in terms of Albany State Golden Rams that are ranked number two, uh, lost to West Georgia Wolves, nine. I mean, 23-7 in that matchup. I know you wanted to talk a little bit, Brian, about Akil Glass and his record-setting campaign as a Bulldog. Yeah, Doc, uh, 12,136 passing yards, career yards by Akil Glass, um, which actually you, you brought up its fourth among HBC. Well, I, let me clarify. It's fourth in the SWAC. It's also fourth among HBCUs. Uh, great trivia question might be who are the three other HBCU slash SWAC quarterbacks? I'll let the lab listeners kind of put that out there. You know, I yeah, we'll, we'll share that before the end of the show just to make sure it's as a quiz to see right. how many got it right. Pop quiz, mm. pop quiz, right? Uh, but with the uh, with that number, uh, Mr. Glass becomes the thirteenth quarterback in NCAA history to pass the 12,000 yardage mark. Wow. Uh, he, is now, he is now sitting 13th overall in career passing yards and his 109 career passing touchdowns makes him tied for 10th among all quarterbacks in FCS slash one double a. So congratulations to Quill Glass. Uh, as you just brought up doc, I, I mean, I, I hate the fact that we kind of, Look past the fact that Alabama A and M, you know, hey, they they maybe deserve. It'd be nice to think that they deserve some consideration, but but anyway, we you know, but but it's it, it sucks that we won't be able to see him play anymore. But it's been a beautiful run, and uh, you know, I'm glad he reached the heights that he uh, reached. Uh, he's definitely been fun to watch, and hey, he capped it off with a great game. I mean, four fifty and six touchdowns, which is the most touchdowns in a game this year in the SWAC, which I think he broke wow. He broke the tie of five that I think he had, uh, Shadour had, uh, Rashawn McKay. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, he just – what a way to go out by a quill. Yeah, man, those top programs are putting a lot of stuff in there. So, if you missed the SWAC this year, that's your fault. It was one to watch in many different avenues. And I will say this. While they may not get in, it doesn't mean that they don't deserve to be reviewed as one of the teams to get in just when you really look at the factors of what's taking place. A lot of teams fell off this last weekend that were at the bottom uh, 25, and so it rearranges the deck in a lot of ways that people probably didn't think a couple of weeks ago. 
even though many thought that that was an outside shot with even fan mute. So I understand your point, but I wanted to get this on that table. Think about this for for a quick sec. The Swag East, you got uh, a Swag champion or a a Swag East champion in Jackson State, Uh, a a potential playoff participant uh, with Florida A&M, a potential uh, playoff participant with with Alabama A&M, or at least a team that should have been in the mix. Swag East this past season. That was murderous row over that side. Hey, Charles. We understand you said that from the beginning, but the the data speaks even more volumes to your credit. So I'm glad you brought that up. This weekend, they were all at home this time. We told you last weekend as Brian brought this up for his homework assignment, went 4-0. But this weekend, they doubled down again and went 3-0 and uh, against the West. So now it's just ridiculous when you talk about they are winning at a 70% clip. In terms of what that looks like, just to give some people some understanding, they that is 12 of 17 that they have won the East over the West, uh, which is at 70.6% clip. Uh, hopefully, Prairie View will get it done against Valley so we can dip it down to 66%. So that means two out of every three games uh, you would play East against the West, the East would win two out of those three games. So amazing. Credit to the East. Certainly on paper, in terms of the data, uh, they show their wares in terms of what's going on. That will be something to watch for the next couple of years of what that looks like in those discussions about the East versus the West. Year one, it certainly goes to the East, but it's there it is, right there. That's it right there. <laughs> Can the West make the final right. statement? Uh, we'll be interested to see. Uh, what all this means. So that's when it gets really. For all close. those years of SWAC West dominance, it was still Alcorn in the SWAC East that that's was right. getting to the championship game. You know, you had the Grambling for a second, but it was it was Alcorn that was out there. So, uh, uh, you know, yeah, those numbers, you know, that you throw them out the window once we get to the SWAC. Yeah, and people don't realize a lot of that uh-huh. is because at that point you have two really good teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you're talking about two really good teams, your margin for error is just that slim. It's, it's, it's not the composite of everybody week to week. Now you have two really good teams. Somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. And it's not always the pure numbers of all everybody together, to your point. Quick question for, for uh, Doc and Charles. You know, us Rattlers, we're new to this conference championship thing. Who are we supposed to root for? Are we supposed to root for the East? I mean, you know, are we supposed to root? I, I just want to be make it clear now. You know, do, do we do we do the whole uh, east west side representation? Because you know, we still got our feelings. But but how does this work in the swag? Educate. I'm gonna give you my thought first. Then let y'all <laughs> uh, rule of engagement is one. If it is not your rival, then you root for the division. That's the first question you get to ask. Is it the rival? And when I'm saying your true rival. Some of these things may change over the years because rivalries are built. But if it's your true in-state rivalry, hell no. (laughs) If it's not, then yes, you root for the division because we like to say which division is superior as you just saw with the breakdown. We have done that for 20 years, as Charles reminded me, when they looked like they were going to stop the championship game. There were uh, really two generations of young people that all they knew was the SWAT championship game, and that's how big it's become. Go ahead, Charles, your thoughts. Uh, here's what you root for. You root for 50,000 in the stands, and you root for another uh, million or so watching on, on TV. I, I, it's truly a spectacle. Uh, and, and as Charles Edmonds uh, pointed out to me, there's no other feeling like having your team in that championship game. Uh, the uh, the atmosphere at Alcorn the past couple of seasons was bananas. I mean, you really got the experience. It was a big game feel. So really looking forward to what uh, Jackson State and Prairie View uh, can bring to the table in terms of, uh, of eyeballs watching on TV and, of course, fannies in the seats because that's, you know, what, what we all kind of um, – use as our benchmark is that fans in the seats, but definitely we have to get used to eyeballs watching it on TV as well. I'm glad you added that to it. And I would say that it was fascinating in the neutral site, first in Birmingham, then it moved to Houston. But I will say this, as Charles just added, it took a, another layer, layer. And I wasn't sure this would be the case. 
it took takes another layer when you bring it to the campus yeah. of the team with the best record and you have a team coming in. It has really heightened the level of passion of the game, and it actually shows better uh, on television that way. And ESPN was pleasantly surprised when that first game was actually brought back and on the campus uh, as the Braves did a great job in their run. Credit to them. Because I don't want to get lost in that, that they set that standard for the conference over the last six years in terms of what they did representing, at that time, the Eastern Division um, and uh, going to the Celebration Bowl. Ultimately, they were not able to get it done there. Kudos for Grambling, as they are the sole team that has won it in the Celebration Bowl. But our times are changing. We shall see. Fascinating with that. Let's take this quick break. Uh, and we'll get back and we'll talk about some of these matchups and uh, we'll let Drew jump back in here and say his team um, and his thoughts on that as we come back in. But great question, Brian. Let's go to a break and we'll be right back with our last segment. Folks are exciting. 1130, we'll know more about FAMU and the Rattlers. Do we get two, three teams postseason play moving forward? We'll be right back after this break. I want you to get the vaccine because I want you to be safe. I don't want you to be a patient. I take care of you in the hospital. That's what I'm scared of. Can I hug you? Yeah. <laughs> Love you. Love you too. You're looking for the latest information on Southern University Sports, the Southwestern Athletic Conference, and HBCU Athletics. There's only one place to go. Tune in to the Carlos Brown Show exclusively on the Black College Sports Network. You see, Head & Shoulders has scalp shield technology, protects against flakes even between washes. It's never not working. Kind of like us. We're never not working. Number 15? That's my rub. Ooh, nice. Never not working. Never, ever, never, ever not working. Welcome, everybody, to Juneau, Alaska. I don't like this one. Me neither. Let's get out of here. Dandruff protection that's never not working. Head and shoulder scalp shield technology. This is Dr. Bill inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington, Charles Bishop. We have guesting for us is the sports rap team, Brian and AD, uh, my DCSN, my JBN. Download the app so you can keep up with us weekly. We'll break it down. We're getting a little discussion in terms of the playoffs uh, as we talk about that. I told you the breakdown in terms of three teams in the big sky have better records or the same record as FAMU. Uh, one team in the big sky has the same record or better record than Alabama A&M and some prognosticators have five, at least five of the teams in, maybe a six. That's pretty much according to the notes that I have here because you had an automatic qualifier, and then I told you three, that's four, and then one additional is five. So, yes, they have uh, those teams that have those records and then maybe a fifth one sticking in there. Looking, trying to look like the SEC if they expand the playoffs with all those teams in the big sky, I want to keep your eyes on. But even with that said, when you talk about 11 automatic qualifiers, uh, and then um, four and nine in terms of those that have Alabama records, you're talking about 13. So you're still sitting at 24 in that edge. So even with that said, you do should have that discussion with fam. You, I believe, certainly in um, and even Alabama A&M should be one of those teams when you look at it. It'll be fascinating to see. Uh, they do a different thing when they close those doors. All this projection with people out here, they have they frameworks and uh, markers of what they've seen in the past, but it's totally different when those doors close. So you never know what's going to go on, what the committee looks at. And that's the good and the bad, the pros and the cons. You just don't know. We've seen that play out with division two with all the algorithms and things changed because you could have had a Albany state matchup with Newberry and never know our second round game in terms of if Albany state would have got it, done against Newberry, you could have seen Bowie State and Auburn State in the uh, next round playing for uh, 
one spot before they got to the quarterfinals to get to the final game. So you just never know how these things play out. With that being said, I wanted to get into some of the matchups. We talked a little bit A&T. I don't want to go too far in that because um, it didn't work out in terms of that matchup. But I wanted to start with the Florida Classic since we're kind of on that. FAMU defeats Bethune-Cookman Wildcats 46. I think we lost Doc there. Yeah, I think we were, we were talking about the Florida Blue Florida Classic. Brian, AD, uh, give us some insight on um, Florida a and and Bethune Cooking yesterday. Um, you just have yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah, sorry. Um, the, the biggest play, obviously, uh, what, you know, Bethune had one play. First play from scrimmage. They score an 82-yard. They, they, that was really the wake-up call. You know, that was sort of what Coach Simmons kind of talked about in the post game. That was the defensive wake-up call. But then, fam, you ran out 43 straight points. Uh, I believe it was 19 to 6 at the half. And and then, really, the third quarter was the shot where we had two scooping scores. Not, not one by the MVP of the game, B.J. Bowler, but then a 46-yard scooping score by defensive lineman General Hunt which that that just <clears throat> right then that was game. I mean really BJ Bowlers was game, but then the emphatic really game over because it was really scoop and score, then you had an interception, then a scoop. Of, I mean it was just we just poured it on and like I said, uh, you couldn't throw enough flags for for penalties. You had you had one guy uh uh that uh, that went Lambo leap into the uh, <laughs> and, and I mean look that was, Hey, no lie, that wall is about eight feet up. So he had to do some climbing to get up that wall. And then when uh, when big fella Jenna Hunt uh, scored, I mean, look, the whole bitch, you know, the whole bitch was running down that end of the field. The flags couldn't come out fast enough. And, you know, it was like anybody who had a flag was throwing it. So it really was just a dominating performance by FAMU. And uh, really – a lot of rumors from, you know, a lot of people talking that it may have been the last game for Coach Terry Sims, uh, Bethune-Cookman. You know, a lot of people seem to, a uh, few people that I spoke with seem to think that the writing or the notification may have already been given mm-hmm. and that it was the last game. You know, uh, the band uh, got out of there quick. Team got out of there quick. I mean, wow. they, it, was like, it was like pack no up. No fifth quarter? Yeah, oh, no fifth quarter, no. So, uh, you know, and, and I think we started off the show in this manner, but the million-dollar question is, uh, was that an, uh, enough of an emphatic win uh, to, you know, really impress those who are in closed-door meetings now? Well, look, so, you know, following up, the teams that FAMU needed to see lose on Saturday, uh, you needed to see South Dakota uh, lose, and they lost to North Dakota State. You needed to see Southern Illinois lose. They lost to Youngstown State, a Youngstown State with a, a, a worse record than them. Um, UC Davis lost, Southeast Louisiana lost, uh, other Monmouth lost, Monmouth lost, Mercer lost, William and Mary lost. I mean, these are schools that were quote unquote being considered above, and mm. none of those schools, none of those schools had records better than FAMU. So, I mean, schools that were they were losing to lesser opponents, and so it just you know, it's amazing when you look at what people evaluate and ratings, because I, I heard some voter say in a tweet that, you know, he was looking at Massey ratings uh, for strength of schedule. And that's the one thing that hurts HBCUs right now. And, and, and the fact that our rating is so low, but I don't know how you overcome the ratings when you have a Missouri Valley where they play each other and then they start the season all ranked in the top 20, like half or six of them start in the top 20. How do you ever overcome when the, when the table is stacked against you from the get go? Mm. You know mm. what I'm saying? Was FAMU and Jackson state even ranked at the beginning of the season? No. I mean, North Carolina a I believe was the only preseason top 25, right? right. Yeah. Drew. But, that's right. But Brian, one of the things you got to do is how we get overcome this hurdle is when we go out of conference to play other conferences, we have to win those games. Now, this year, 
Swack got a couple of wins I, I, I out, out of conference this year. But in, in the past four or five years, HBCUs, not named A&T, have not defeated teams on the, on the FCS level outside of conference or outside the HBCU sphere. Yes, it helped that. I, I do agree, and that is certainly one component of it. What was that, Doc? I was saying I agree with that. That's part of it that you do have to win your conference games, but still doing that, um, you still have the hurdle because the and this is from a data scientist analysis, the bias in the data coming in is already biased. So Correct. even if you win those games, you're still starting from a disposition where you already counted out. So even if you win all those games, you're only marginal going to be able to make it up over the period of time. Yeah. So so here's here's my quick question. What were the head turner uh, games uh, that that HBCUs won out of conference? No, I I think I most of the games that they won out of conference were against the MIAC, which they will say is lower lower rated. You had That's two, uh, one where they won two games against Southland teams, and one of them is 0-10 Houston Baptist with Prairie View winning. They had the tough loss to Incarnate Word, even though it was a loss is probably what you qualify as a good loss because Incarnate Word end up winning the Southland. And then you had Alcorn State win, Alcorn I guess won. it was what, against Northwestern? Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. were against Northwestern State, right? And the rest of the wins were against the MIAC um, um, in terms of that. Oh, that so State, overall, State. they had like a 7-7. Yeah, they, they had a 7-7 seven, seven record uh, in terms of those, which is better than it's been in the past. So see, they're winning those. But I think the other thing that people have to really keep an eye on in the fact is that the whole framework of SCS has changed in everybody's uh, mindset because you had so much disposition as we talk about the conference tournament, which changes the scheduling framework of a lot of teams. Yeah. So the traditionally those teams that were in conferences where they had a lot of teams and they could get a benefit of the, of the fact of eating off the fat of the lamb because they had perceived better conference ratings. They would beat the teams at the bottom and their record be, would be floated. Well, now with the scheduling change and this addition of this conference, which happens to be AQ7, which will be even fascinating if you even add another conference, because now you see what happened to the MEAC when it looked like they almost would just have a team in the celebration board at six and five and five and six, which is totally different in the past. That's played out in the OBC. OBC only has one team with a decent record. The rest of them are six, five, five, and six. Same thing with the uh, Southland Conference. They have essentially two teams with good records. The rest of them are five and six. Uh, AQ, the AQ seven with the whack and the uh, uh, the new uh, A Sun, as they like to call it. You had basically one team over there. You see what I'm saying? So that whole framework changed the calculation from the winning percentage of even in conferences that nobody really took into uh, factor this year that I was telling folks that you need to look at uh, that they missed. Yeah. Mm. One, hey, one thing about this 24 number that we keep hearing, 24 teams going to the play, playoffs, people think, Fab, you need to finish in the top 24. No, the number is actually, they need to be number 22 or higher because there are two automatic qualifiers who are ranked lower than fam you was coming into this week outside of the top 25 that are in the tournament so you got to get number 22 you take out nine of the uh other teams you you got to be you've got 11 spots left nine nine of them qualify automatically uh in two of them below you so you need to finish 22 losses i've got fam you coming in at number 20 just looking at the schedule from uh, over the weekend and with a probable first round matchup against Mercer. So we'll see how that plays out. The second uh, most likely matchup with East Tennessee state being number three on that list. But I do have fab you coming in. If they were to see them, they would be on the five line, but we know they don't see past the, uh, past the five. So. Yeah, and I, I would say this is actually 11 automatic qualifiers. Yeah. And no, then you take it. But yeah, the other thing that you, I'm sorry, 13 at, uh, at large. I had to double back, but you're correct. Right. The other yeah. thing that you need to also think about is, is while there's two that were below the cut line, there were also two teams above that are out of it, which is the Ivy League. 
having two teams that are not going to go in. So Three it kind of balances. When you add Jackson State in. Right, exactly. So those are things that you think about the variables that folks don't necessarily calculate um, in terms of those rankings uh, as they go. But, again, it's a number game. It'll be fascinating. A lot of folks have uh, put in calls and did the work of what's going on there. So let's stick with it. I think you've got the idea of what we broke down. Appreciate you joining the show. Join uh, Brian and AD this evening as they will have the analysis. By the end, the news will be out, so they'll follow it in. BJ Jones should be back on this week talking about the season that was. We still have some big conference matchups next week uh, in terms of the Bayou Classic, as well as Mississippi Valley traveling to Prairie View. You have the Turkey Day Classic with Tuskegee going over to Alabama State. So those should be fascinating to see what's going on. And then you have the big one in Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi, with the SWAC championship game and more likely will be analyzing who FAMU is playing in the playoffs. Is there a possibility that Alabama A&M Bulldogs will jump into the mix? That should be interesting, particularly with Coach Maynard and Akil Glass, uh, record-setting career at Alabama A&M. Yeah, I'm going to mix it up. I'm, I'm going to go for the gusto. I'm not worried about FAMU is in. I want to know if Alabama A&M gets in. I think it really gets good. Then that'll do it for us, the show today. Give y'all a little more to chop it down. Thanks for all the lab listeners getting in here, getting it done. Um, Charles, did you get to talk about Jackson State in that matchup between no. Alcorn? No, no, no. We didn't get into it uh, uh, just yet. We kind of talked a little bit more, more uh, in terms of fam film cooking now uh, when we froze. But, I mean – you take a look at Jackson State and Alcorn. I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more on Tuesday. But, uh, you know, it, it, it goes back into what I've been saying about Jackson State uh, throughout the course of the season. Uh, so in, some, in some ways, they, they get hit, but they hit back harder. And that's who they are. This is another fourth quarter where they have uh, outscored the opponent and they're holding the opponent scoreless in four quarters over the past three games. Yeah, I think they're the confidence. People talk about – teams taking on the matchup of their coach. And I don't believe Coach Prime gets credit for this. Uh, his mental discipline that he talks about with his teams, yeah, they're talented. But his fortitude about them believing, he says yeah. that when he came in, I believe, and we just thought it was a good marking, and I think it's great marketing, by the way. But it was more than that. It's about a mental framework that he wanted to get in this team. He started it some degree last spring. They didn't believe in it. He took some out, brought some in. They have bought into it, coaches, and even the fans now. That will be a challenge and a tough team to beat in the SWAC championship games because simply they're going to fight in to the end because what I believe, they believe, we believe, except for the Panthers out there, we're going to try to show you another team that believe. But with that said, I did want to acknowledge that and give credit. And so you've been saying that for a while, and people just thought your fandom was there, but you were breaking down – the fact that you had inside information, which we need to give you more credit for the pregame show along with Neely about how you're changing the space about how we cover HBCU sports. So I wanted to share that before I get off here. Thank you for listening to Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. Make sure you share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. I am Dr. Nyadika Bill, the Dean of HBCU Sports, coming from inside the lab in the College of HBCU Sports with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. Guesting to us today is the sports rap team, and that is Brian and AD. Stick with them. They'll give you something later this afternoon. BJ Jones was traveling, not able to get in, but check him out as he'll bring it hard and heavy. Uh, again, we want to thank you for listening to Dr. Bill's Inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington, Charles Bishop, every Tuesday and Thursday at 6, right here on Sunday at 9. Check out the pregame show. It's the hottest thing out there. Check out 1876 Sports and Culture. It will be fun this week as they talk about clinching the championship. That drops on Tuesday. It's just getting good. It's intriguing that some of the programs that have had folks that are dedicated to covering on another level have been up front in terms of being able to get it done this year. I wonder if there's something to that. Kudos to uh, B.J. Jones and, Ch and Carlos Brown, who've been doing it for a while. They're not so much there in terms of their team taking the next step. But I think that's something to follow as well. Follow me, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y. A-T-T-A-C-A-B-I-L inside the HBC Sports Lab 1 on Twitter. That's Facebook and YouTube on inside the HBC Sports Lab. Make sure you click, like, subscribe, and all those good things. 
Shout out, obviously, for the Alcorn crew with Swacking the Food. They're doing some good stuff out there as well. Dream Big, continue to move forward. We will talk with you soon. Charles? Of course. Brian? Lecture. AD? Yes, missed. They passed the quiz. Passed the quiz. Those top four teams, as we get out there talking about that, I did want to make sure we didn't leave that on the table. Number one is Steve McNair, 14,496. Most people probably would have got him. Number two might surprise some folks, and that's Bruce. Steve McNair from Alcorn State, the Braves. Number two is Bruce Eugene, Bramble State, 13,530 passing yards. And number three is none other than the Venable, Willie Totten that Charles off the um, show as we got talked about that Alcorn and Mississippi Valley game that lived and has a record for attendance. They didn't even count everybody in there because you had people in the aisles. But that's the different discussion. We don't want to get anybody in trouble because we might be past the time limit. And then it with uh, Willie Totten was a 12,711. And right behind him was a kill glass, 12,136 passing yards. Kudos. Let Alabama AM Bulldogs in the playoff as well. Let's Let really go get it out there. Send AM back to FAMU for a playoff matchup. That'd be fun. <laughs> it's not, you know, inside the HBC Sports Lab. We're out. I holler.